Father, speak to us. Give us ears to hear. And um, yeah, just be with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always great when you end a worship song when a drunk lout walks past going, <laughs> just as the recording starts. That's going straight on the podcast. Um, yeah, cool. So if you didn't know, we have a podcast. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so today we are going to be finishing our series which was entitled, controversially entitled, after all the abuse I got, um, Christian Lives Matter. We've been looking at different Christians that were martyred for their faith, not just on a, um, not on like persecution in the workplace, because that's ridiculous. Um, it's not really existent for Christians in this country. It's pretty good. Um, so we've been looking at that. And as promised, because last week, I meant to do this talk last week, but um, I had that awkward thing where I'd spoken at another church in the morning and just fell in love with that talk. And Jodie was like, oh, you should totally do that. And I, I was like, no, no, we can't. We have the series. And then Leke, what was that song you sang last Sunday? Slaves. Oh, yeah. I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I was like, oh, the guilt trip of the Holy Spirit. No, I'm joking. He doesn't do that. But I was like, oh, I've got to do it now. So we did that. So this week, I'm kind of tagging on. So what I was going to do last week was... Um, during the course of that week, I had this awesome opportunity to Skype um, Canon Andrew White. If you don't know who Canon Andrew White is, he's the vicar of Baghdad. Um, he's like an absolute legend. He's got a couple of books out that are absolutely amazing. Um, he's done all sorts of incredible things. He brokered the uh, Bethlehem ceasefire. Uh, like in 03 stuff like that so like he's done reconciliation on a huge scale where like people are blowing, <laughs> blowing stuff up everywhere and killing people and he's like for reconciliation he's done loads of amazing work in Israel um, and he's been he was based in Baghdad for a long long period of time and he's just he's phenomenal like one of the conversations we had which is kind of to, to put in perspective the kind of person he is is um he, he, he's now in Israel. Um, I thought that was because things got too risky for him, and they did get too risky. Basically, ISIS put a bounty on his head, and they were trying to kill him, so he invited them round for dinner. Uh, as Canon, only Canon Andrew White would do that, right? It's like, ISIS want to kill me, let's have dinner. Let's take Psalm 23 literally. He prepares a banquet in the midst of my enemies. That is literally it. I'm not even kidding. We actually talked about Psalm 23 when talking about that conversation. Like any other Christian would be like, oh yeah, that's a good one. That's funny. He's like, no, that's why I did it. Kind of thing. You're like, wow, geez. Like, like levels. Like, like, I don't know. I don't really watch Dragon Ball Z, but he'd be some kind of... Goku evolution thing that would be somewhere out there. I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. I might as well be speaking in tongues, but it'd be something up there. Like, it's just levels. You're like, as you're on, he's really funny as well. Because on the one hand, he's this like, if you don't know him, you don't know him. But in terms of England, there's probably not a better English minister in terms of actual credible worth. Like, you could do loads of good talks, be eloquent, set up a good movement. But like, he's done things on a grandiose scale, but he's also done things on a really personal level so one of the things I'd said to him was I was going it's so amazing all the reconciliation you've done on such a macro level and on such a micro level and he goes how do you know what I've done and I was like oh you're, you're kind of famous like there's books about you that you've written <laughs> and uh, you're in every newspaper in the western world when it comes to Iraq and stuff but he's just really cool he's a really amazing guy but yeah he invited ISIS round for dinner and they said they'd cut off his head and um, basically his assistant in the church, the, uh, um, the reconciliation ministry he was a part of, his assistant got promoted. And his assistant, when he got promoted, basically said, um, told him he had to leave. 
um, his assistant being um, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Justin Welby, <laughs> basically said, uh, you need to get out of Baghdad. And he went, well, I might do next week. And he says, no, now. <laughs> so he had to leave. Um, and so now he's in Israel, which I was like, oh, so you got placed in Israel? He goes, no one places me. I choose where I go. Like, he's, he's nuts. He's absolutely, literally nuts. He's just amazing. He's, it was the most unique conversation I think I've ever had in a long time. Like, no, yeah, just, just mental. And, um, but really, really powerful as well. I think the most excited he got in the conversation was when I mentioned about um, having a child and the implications and how that affected my life. And he goes, I've got a boy or a girl. And when I said I had a girl, oh, how lovely. You can end up talking about your beautiful little girl and end up hearing about how he's adopted six girls in Iraq and how they're doing now and the story of the transformation of their life. And you're just like, geez, like he just oozes it. Um, he's just so accessible, so real, um, done such amazing stuff and yet just has a really normal conversation with you. Now, the reason I had Skyped him wasn't just for me to just sit there in awe of him and learn how it should be done. Um, the reason I Skyped him was to get a kind of picture of how things were because when the media talked about um, the certain issues in Iraq, um, a lot of people are saying, all they ever say is they play it down, say something atrocious, and then they put like, uh, but no one really knows what's happening. Um, and then that's it. So the whole point, there's a Christian genocide, the media won't take it seriously, the government won't take it seriously, Premier Christian Radio are pretty much single-handedly the reason why it's been labelled as genocide because they got all their subscribers and everyone to um, do like a petition to Parliament which actually got to, um, got to Parliament and they basically 100% everyone, yep, genocide, passed the bill. But then they refused to take it to the United Nations um, Council of... I can't remember to be honest. So it didn't actually get, it didn't go anywhere. They haven't actioned anything. So they admitted it was genocide. They all said that. I've got a wonderful letter. Um, and if you've subscribed to City Hill, um, you will have got an email this week. Please go back and find it. It's, it's called Stop the Genocide. Like it's got all the information you need there and a button you can click. And basically, the Premier are doing a second petition. And this time, it's specifically to get the government to do the next steps of action. So basically, you, all you do is you'll fill out your details they'll send a letter thing on, on your behalf, everything will get done, and it'll be one of the best things you've ever done. Like, I've got at home, like, a letter from my local MP that he wrote to me on House of Parliament paper. Yeah! And he wrote that to me, and I've got it, and he backed it, and he voted for it. Now, we need them to vote for the next stage, um, because although they've admitted there's a genocide in Iraq and in Syria, um, the government have refused to do anything. So when chatting to Canon Andrew White on, on Skype, he said to me that 1,750 members of his church in Baghdad have been killed. And that's just his church, his church. That's not Iraq, that's Baghdad. Um, so his church had about 6,000 members and 1,750 members have been killed. Now, if we're just to point out 9-11 as a, like a, a ruler, uh, 2,996 deaths which is only 1,246 more deaths. And um, that was a defining moment in history where the whole world changed. So it's not that many more significant deaths. Um, it is a lot amount, and it, I understand that every camera isn't watching this. Um, but this is a significant thing, and no one is doing anything. And so if you receive that email, I please implore you, like me, um, to fill it out. 
because this is real and this is happening. And so when people are talking about quantifying it, the government are talking about, oh, we don't really know, we know, we don't know. They did that in Rwanda and everyone went, we know, but we don't know, but we kind of know, but uh. And Bill Clinton said that was the biggest failure of his presidential career, not Monica Lewinsky. Rwanda was the biggest failure, not doing anything in 94, not stepping in, not actioning it. That's his biggest regret. And actually, I don't want us to have regret because we think that maybe we're powerless, but actually I did a signature last time and it got actioned and it went through parliament. We now need to get the next step to happen and it needs you and I. And this is a chance where faith comes into action. It's so flipping simple, I can't play it down. Um, so let's just let that sink in for a moment. 1,750 members of his church in Baghdad killed, just gone like that. Um, he, he's, an, he's a unique and amazing um, character, the work that he's done. Um, so if you're listening, may you feel uncomfortable about that. Um, and if you're listening and you felt uncomfortable about the fact that I just used 9-11 as a measuring stick, um, I just think that's sad that you were more focused about the measuring stick than the 1,750 people that died from one church in Baghdad. Um, he has 6,000 members in, in total. Um, I can't employ you enough. You have to find that email that was sent last week. If you didn't get it and you want the link, um, give me an email later and I'll email it to you personally myself. Um, <sighs> One of the stories that um, Andrew shared with me that really, I think, probably messed me up the most, because he has a lot of stories, um, he shared a story of a, of a man coming to him, and he said this wasn't unique, this happened off fairly regularly. A man in his church came to him and said, can you forgive me? And Andrew said, well, well what for? What, what would you need forgiveness for? And he said, well, they came to me, ISIS, and they said that if I don't renounce Jesus and convert to Islam, they'll kill me. And I didn't want to die. So I prayed the prayer and I renounced Jesus. And Andrew said to him, yes, of course, Jesus will always forgive you. Jesus will always forgive you. And he said that often he'd have this conversation and just they kind of embrace and this really kind of powerful moment. But tragically, did, this did not just apply to adults, this applied to children. So these parents were being asked to deny Jesus and become Muslim, and the parents would pray the prayer, go through the motions, and they would deny Jesus. But then ISIS would turn to their child, to the child, and they would say to them, you need to deny Jesus and become Muslim. And Andrew said from the children in his church, they said, no, we will not deny Jesus. We love Jesus. We talk to Jesus every day. He's provided for all our needs. He loves us and we love Jesus. We will not denounce Jesus. And so Andrew said to me, so they cut the children in half with the sword and killed them. Children six, eight years of age just killed like that because they would not renounce Jesus, because they would not deny him, because they would not move. <laughs> yeah, I can't have a go at you because I'm talking about children being martyrs. You're lucky. <laughs> and they were butchered and they were killed. So once again, I say, and I'll never repeat something and be more unashamed of repeating the same boring line again and again. 
please click on the link in that email because it's not just adults that are dying, there are children who are being cut in half. Andrew also mentioned there was a boy that was named after him from the church called Andrew and um, he refused to renounce Jesus and he'd been baptised by Andrew and named after him by the, um, the parents and he was kind of godfather to the child and they cut that young boy in half who was named after him and um, it was just... Oh, it, I tell you what, it was really, really difficult to listen to, but this is real life and this is what's happening in our world. So when we did such a shocking title as Christian Lives Matter, we weren't talking about um, Christians who've been killed in the past, although we have touched on that during the series. We weren't just talking about Christians who were killed in the New Testament. We were talking about right now in Iraq, right now in Syria, thousands and thousands are being killed. And actually, while ISIS is losing territory, they are doing more horrific atrocities as they retreat. So they're leaving and they're making sure that none of the Christians are left alive behind as they're losing their ground. So actually, this does need to go to Parliament and they do need to do whatever they can do. Otherwise, we may not see Christianity in Iraq anymore. And it's been a country where it has thrived actually for quite a long time. Um, we're talking about today about children who have greater faith and witness than any of us present tonight. Um, so actually, as we talk about those children, we're talking about uh, someone extremely significant. We're talking about boys and girls who are absolute heroes and courageous uh, members of the faith. And so we're looking at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 1. It's only going to be a short passage. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put them in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a millstone fastened round his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I was reading that passage today and the thing that inspired me about that passage, I started to have a really weird thought. Because of the conversation I'd had with him during the week, there were things I just couldn't, I couldn't shake from my mind because um, you, you guys are kind of hearing it secondhand from me but I was talking to the man who was talking about the children in his church so like my Eden or I know Ty's older he's a teenager but there would have been lads his age that would have been killed and last week um, V and Justina were here with, with their three and they're pretty much the age of uh, the children he was talking about and um, they're not here anymore they've, they've, had, they've had their heads cut off or they've been cut in half, or they've been butchered in those kind of ways. And so it really hit home to me that for the first time in a while, we had the, the three of them here running around our church and everyone was so excited to see them. It was so awesome. And we all made a fuss of them. And I was just thinking the same time, the conversation with Canon and Andrew White and how kids that he loved, like we loved them last week and played and made a fuss of them, they're gone, they're dead. That right now my daughter's running around me whilst I'm this conversation and causing mayhem in church but for him there are there are kids that 
a little bit older than her that just wouldn't back down, that wouldn't deny Jesus, that have lost their lives. And as I read this, I started to see those children in an even more heroic light than I already had. Because Jesus said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And he took this visual aid and he stuck this child in front of the disciples to say, this child, this attitude, this humility is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I thought of those guys from ISIS with those children and they're standing there and they're asking the question, who's the greatest? Because they're asking them, will you deny Jesus and will you follow um, Will you follow Allah? Will you, will you follow the prophet Muhammad instead of this, this Isa, this Jesus that you know of? And these children, you can see that they are the exact quality that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18. Because they're like, we love Jesus. We talk to him every day. He's there for us through everything. We will never reject Jesus. And then these guys hacking them to pieces. And I thought of that passage and I thought those children to those terrorists, to those men choosing such a horrible lifestyle. They're like this witness of what is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, that they are standing there. And when we looked as we started this series, we talked about Saul and how he recounts like Stephen stoning and he talks about his face shining like the sun, shining bright. And he talks about him saying, Father, I give up my spirit. And it sticks with Saul. And Saul has this experience later on where he becomes Paul. And he has this encounter with God on the Damascus Road. And I started to think of these small children in Baghdad who are being told, deny Jesus, become a Muslim, or you'll die. And they, they refuse to deny him. They refuse to back down. And they're cut in half and their heads are cut off. And I saw these little kids in my head as I read this passage. And all I could see was them shining bright as this true example of of what the greatest in the kingdom of heaven looks like. And then he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and drop down to the depth of the sea. And when I thought about that, my estimation for these children went up to another level. I didn't think it could go any higher, but it found a new measurement on the barometer. Because here in this moment where they're tempting them to, to deny God, to turn their back on Jesus and everything they believe, um, these men are there to cause them to stumble, but they won't. They'll stay true to him, even to the point of death. And they leave such a great testimony behind. And so today what we're talking about is we're talking about absolute heroes of the faith. Hebrews talks about them. Men and women of whom, boys and girls of whom this world was not worthy. That's what they are. They're, they're boys and girls of whom this world is not worthy. They're like the Roman centurion who had more faith than the whole of Israel, but no one knows his name. I don't know their names, these boys and girls. But I know they've got greater faith than me. And I, I, I say, regardless of how great anyone thinks themselves here today, I believe they have greater faith than anyone else here. And I believe they're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I believe that even at this point, they could, have, they could have backed down and they could have put a millstone around this guy's neck by denouncing Jesus. But it's true to the end, knowing what it would cost, having seen what had happened to others, that was what they chose. And it absolutely blew my mind. But they, there is a bigger question from their story. There's a bigger question which we haven't unpacked, which we're going to unpack and we will end with today. Their death, their martyrdom, their faith asks a question of you 
and asks a question of me. It says, they died for him, will you live for him? That's what their death says to me. I hear their death and all week, all week since I spoke to Canon Andrew White the week before, all I've heard in my head is the call being asked of me. They would die for him, Andrew, will you live for, live for him? It felt like God was saying to me, and I believe God wants to say it to every single one of us here today. They died for me. Will you live for me? I believe that's the call of God for us. Will you live for me this week? In your workplace, in your family, in your friends. That doesn't mean running out to people, like I've said before, doing Benny Hinn. You don't need to buy a white suit for work on Monday. And like Hadouken people, I've seen that video go around on YouTube. It's hilarious. No Hadoukens. Don't need it. No, no. She came on a Honda, let's have the key to my share, let's have a shandy. Like, you don't need to do any of that. You don't need to do any of that on Monday morning, you don't. Jesus is saying, will you live for me? Will you live for me? For some of us, it's going to be telling someone what we see in them that's good. For others of us, it's going to be going up to someone saying, oh, I'm so sorry, last, last time we were working together, I was such a douche to you, and I'm totally sorry about that. Um, for some of us, it's going to mean when someone is in front of you that has a problem, um, God can be saying, well, are you going to live for me? Are you going to solve it? Are you going to help them through this? Are you going to be there? You may not have all the answers, but you're going to give them what you do have. That's what I believe he's saying of us this week. So the most important thing to grab out of all of this is um, be inspired by some of the greatest heroes, boys and girls that ever walked this earth. The second thing is you have to go back to that email and you have to fill out that form because it could save lives and that's important. And the third thing is their death isn't detached from you. It asks a question of you. It asks, will you live for Jesus? Because they were ready to die for him. Will you live for him? I'm going to pray for us. And um, that'll be it for today. Father God, I thank you for their story. I thank you for their example. I thank you for their courage. May you help us to be courageous. May you work through us. May you pour forth your spirit into our lives. This week, may we live for you in such a powerful, unique and wonderful way. May we be people that shine bright this week. May we give our love, our time to people. May we invite people, Lord, uh, to know you, maybe to come here or maybe to the party in our lives that you've created, that they can share in the goodness of what you're doing. Um, just be with us this week and empower us. In Jesus' name, amen.